0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hey guys, welcome back to Being a Woman. I'm here today with my sister Tabby. Hello. Hello. Today I kind of want to talk about the challenges of growing up with an absent parent or parents um, and kind of how it can affect you throughout your life. So I kind of want to start off by saying that um, our mother, she wasn't around for a lot of our childhood and... Our father, I mean, he has been out of my life since I was two years old. How old are you, Tubby? I think I was like almost six, not quite. Yeah, so he, he hasn't been around. So to say the least, we have had absent parents. I would say that. We didn't really have parents. Um, mom was just in and out our whole lives, you know. Um, it would be weeks on and off. Well, and, like, personally, I stopped having parents at the age of 13 when I moved out and, like, thrust myself into the adult world because the situation was so bad. So, I was almost without parents for the majority of my, like, really formative years. Yeah. Yeah, like, we had parents, like, obviously we had parents. They they made us, but, like, they weren't there necessarily they weren't they just weren't present um so this is kind of something that obviously i have spent time looking into just because it's it's who we both are as people so it's something that growing up and like trying to learn who i am and understand myself learning more about this topic and kind of understanding it does feel like it's helping me to heal a bit because i'm understanding myself a lot better Well, in an in-projection there is therapy has also been a huge tool for me, at least, and I think for most people in my situation, and I know no two situations are the same, but I know for me, therapy has helped a lot in kind of dealing with the abandonment issues that it does leave you with when you don't have parents, because it's almost like you're an orphan, but both of your parents are still alive, and that's... A super hard and weird situation to kind of be in and to be able to communicate with other people about. Like you said, it's hard to communicate with other people about it. Like explaining to people, like I've straight up told people, I don't really have parents. You know, if they ask me, like, oh, what does your mom or dad do or something, I'm like, well, I don't really have parents. And they're like, what? And then you have to, like, explain that to them. And it's, like, just an awkward situation. You literally that we'll... have to overshare in order to give them an idea of what's going on in your life. Yeah. It's, it's a strange experience, definitely. But the reason that our mother wasn't present most of the time was she was struggling with drug addiction for years for most of my childhood. There's definitely That's other awesome. reasons why a parent is absent. Like I mentioned, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, overworking, you know, divorce or separation that can lead a parent to leave the house, or if they're just emotionally absent. Also, mental illness plays a large part in that, especially in our story, but in a lot of people's stories, there's a, a lot of parents that even when they are present, can't actually be present in the way a parent should because mental illness especially like unresolved mental illness where treatment hasn't been sought or they don't they aren't aware of the mental illness because of their own trauma definitely and it's definitely something that is very tricky to navigate if you're a child in that situation you don't necessarily know what's going on yet and you're you probably don't know how to deal with that like You just think that your parents gone a lot, or you know whatever the case may be, that they don't spend enough time with you, they don't understand your feelings, or try to communicate. (laughs) You know when the people on the news, you get like the clips before they start of them being like, (laughs) ah, moving their mouth all weird. Uh, totally understandable now. I love it on Anchorman where like he's like, Veronica, you're a real bitch. <laughs> he looks like he's just sitting there having a nice cordial conversation. He's like, you're a real bitch. So how you are raised definitely determines how your mind is shaped and how you respond to the outside world. Um, when you're raised with an absent parent or parents, you definitely develop uh, different responses to things than someone in a stable two-parent household would it can make it harder to develop healthy and trusting relationships. It can affect how you understand your partner's emotions and needs, your expectations of that partner and your relationship, a possibility of emotional imbalance and how you respond to conflict. that's definitely very true. And also not to like continue to redirect the conversation to mental illness, but also in the cases where mental illness is a factor in that, which a lot of the times when it comes to drug abuse and things of that nature, mental illness is a large part part of that, like equation. Things are typically passed down, not just like the unhealthy attachment style that you're getting from that, but also the problems that your parent has and innately has because of their own like brain chemistry and stuff those things are largely genetic and also they come from a place of trauma sometimes and that trauma is also passed down so like when your parents or your caregivers have trauma from their childhood well that came from their parents and their parents before them and their parents before them in many ways And so it's when you're not trying to live in that cycle of trauma and reaction and trying to break that cycle and become more informed and to actually grow as a person, you're having to like also take into account the fact that, okay, I have this trauma and this trauma was inherited and it's it's a really big portion of it. So it's not even just the things that have happened to us and the things that we've lived through. It's also the things that happened to our parents and they lived through that altered their brain chemistry in a way that's not just, oh, well, they had this traumatic experience and then it altered them to where they react differently. Right. It also, like... It, it alters them in ways that is not so immediately obvious and can literally like physiologically be passed down there's a lot of really interesting studies that you can check out about that um about like inherited trauma there's a specific word for it that i'm forgetting right now because my brain doesn't work sometimes i know one um... And I don't remember who did this study, but it was with rats or mice. It was uh, with rats, yeah. Yeah, where they would have them, like, sniff a specific scent, and then they would zap them um, immediately after. And then so they they had those rats have babies, and then those babies have babies. And then they tested it on them. They just had them smell the same scent. And they would immediately be scared and run away because of that trauma that was passed down through the generations. Yeah, even though they had never experienced the electrical zaps, they still knew from, like, just genetics at that point um, that that was a dangerous situation. Definitely. And I so I agree with your point there that with the mental illnesses and stuff that can be passed down through generations. And that definitely plays a role in, you know, how we act as well. Mm -hmm. And why, if you're dealing with an emotionally unavailable parent, then you grow up to be like that is because as a child, you're literally just absorbing everything that you see and experience around you. So obviously that's going to, if you grow up, with a parent that is constantly going through abusive relationships, you're more likely to grow up and go through that as well, because it's literally what you're taught and what's drilled into your brain, like from a child and you're just absorbing all of that. So if they have toxic communication styles, if they're avoidant, whatever, like your brain is just absorbing that you're learning that it's going to be so much harder for you to grow up and go down a different path and, I know that you can speak on that like growing up and understanding like oh this is maybe something toxic that i've picked up from my parent, and i don't want to be like that so i'm going to actively work to change it but it takes that like realization that you don't want to be that same person yeah for sure and i think like so personally like for me um my first relationship i was not an adult it was not an actual relationship and it was a very abusive situation but what i've come to learn about myself and like a lot of the reason that i was able to actually have the mindset change that i had to get out of the situation was that for a long time not having adults in my life not just my caregivers but like all of the adults in my life for a very long time really were always seeking to get something from me in a way. So like it was a very unequal kind of give and take situation where like they would give me affection and they would give me care when I was like giving them something that they wanted which is not a healthy way to have a relationship with a child, but it also left me as the child in question feeling very much like I was an object without actually like consciously understanding that. Like I consciously understand that now, but in the time I really, really felt like if I wasn't doing something for the people in my life as I got older and like, Formed my own attachments and formed my own relationships. I didn't know how to deny access to my life to people who were, you know, harming me. I didn't know how to draw those boundaries because I didn't know that I could have boundaries when it came to people in a position of power over me because I was more of an object that they used than an actual human being. And it took me a really long time to be able to see myself as an actual human being. And I was not consciously aware of this while all of this was really going on. Um, But knowing what I know now, I know that that was very much the case. And so like it really not only did it affect my attachment style and my ability to communicate and have relationships with other people, but it affected the way I was able to have a relationship with myself because I didn't view myself as a self. I was just a, a pawn, an object in this world for other people to use because that was my place and that had always been my place I knew nothing out. Overcoming that was really kind of the first step and I think that that's really like a first step for a lot of people who suffered from severe neglect and abuse especially in childhood uh, or have like grown up with a narcissistic parent or you know things like that or were groomed by a narcissist very young it really affects your ability to even have a relationship with yourself in a lot of ways and that's kind of where you have to start in order to be able to have a relationship with other people definitely when it's unfair first of all to be a child and have that type of responsibility put on to you when you're not even fully aware of the actual situation yet and then to grow up and come out of that and realize like wow that was actually actually like an extremely toxic situation and then maybe realizing that it was coming from your parent and understanding that you need to set some boundaries but then that's your parent, that makes it so much more difficult because then you have the struggle of like, oh, well, do I cut this person out of my life that's been toxic to me since as long as I can remember and not have them anymore? Or do I just kind of put up with it and brush it off because it is my parent and I don't want to be without them. Like that's a really hard dilemma to go through. It causes a lot of guilt and like suffering on like your part When you are trying to make that adjustment, especially if you've had like a narcissistic parent or say you were raised in like a really like conservative old school kind of environment. You're taught to not question or rebel in any way because that's disrespect in your mind that becomes disrespectful or rude action to even be able to try and stand up for yourself and start setting boundaries and start reasoning through that it feels like an act of rebellion in like the worst way possible like that that does a lot to your psyche as a child and as a child you're never aware of these things because your your job as a child is to learn your place in the world and to learn how to like safely and happily navigate yourself through, you're supposed to have that support system that allows you to learn who you are and learn where you fit and learn what you like. And when you have all of this trauma and you have all of this, when you're so alone in it, by not having parents and not having apt caregivers you're not just having to learn all of the normal things about growing into your own person. You're also having to learn how to keep yourself safe and how to protect yourself and what's dangerous and what's not. And you're learning all of these coping mechanisms that are not necessarily healthy because you're not very well informed, you're a child. You're not supposed to be well-informed. Your brain's not ready to deal with any of that kind of stuff. And it really can halt your development in a lot of other ways beyond just like the initial trauma. It, It can really hinder like your ability to, like coming back to attachment styles, your ability to be able to have relationships with other people, especially healthy ones, not just romantic ones either, like even friendships are really hard to hang on to and hard to form and hard to not jump into, I feel like especially in like my case, our mom being so absent, in a lot of ways, I feel like that harmed me in making friendships with other women when I was in my teenage years, when I was in like some really formative years and even still to a point to this day, well, maybe not like to this day, but like up to like maybe like four or five years ago, I really struggled in being able to recognize narcissistic and self-fulfilling kind of attitudes in people that came to like women because I didn't know how to read adult women's social cues and see what was healthy and what was not, even through years of therapy. I still struggled with that. Now, I've just learned to be super, super blunt and be very open and honest. And I just don't have space for people who are going to be damaging to me in any way. And if I immediately sense that at any point in time, I just completely cut contact in that relationship and you won't foster a new relationship. And even in a way that kind of harms me, it uh, keeps my social circle really, really small and keeps me feeling kind of isolated sometimes. So, like, even through all of the therapy and all of the, like, work that I've done on myself, I've found that this is a huge thing that still affects me. And it's just a really hard thing to do, and it affects everyone differently. It'll touch your whole life and not just the romantic relationships and not just the self-esteem but in like how you interact with the world as a whole. Definitely. And I do understand your point of like, not being able to trust women because you had a woman in your life that you just never knew what was gonna come from her next. You couldn't trust her, right? So then you growing up trying to make friends um, and it's like, oh, you're supposed to have friends that are girls because you're a girl. And it's like, well, I don't trust women because I have this very unreliable woman in my life who has raised me. And I think that also kind of what you were saying about relationships, I think that's kind of where my insecure attachment style came from was we had a woman who was supposed to be raising us that was just... She was never there. You never knew what to expect. It was just ups and downs. And so now as an adult, like obviously that's something that I'm working on is not being anxiously attached to people, but I've noticed it in my friendships, in my Romantic relationships. It's almost that because my childhood was so, I just, I never knew what to expect. And now it's like, I'm so scared to lose people that I genuinely care about that I just like want to hold on to them so tight because I don't want them to go anywhere. And I never know what anyone's next action is going to be because of such an unstable childhood. And I never had, you know, neither of us ever had that stable sure. relationship that was just always there that you could always fall back on, you know? Well, I think I swung wildly in the other direction on that, which is interesting and shows you, like, the difference in even, like, siblings who grew up with kind of the same thing. While you hold really tightly to the people, even when they don't necessarily deserve to be held tightly and they should be dismissed from your life, I'm very, very guilty of just dismissing people from my life. I just don't make the emotional connection in the first place. Like, I'll have some sort of regard for them. But, like, actually having, like, an emotional attachment to people, I've struggled with my entire life, especially when it comes to, like, romantic relationships. I have struggled most of my life with being able to... I can fake it. I've faked it a lot (laughs) in most of my early relationships. Um, And even in the relationship that I'm in currently when we were at the early stages, I do all of the right things that make me seem like a good girlfriend and like I'm attached. But I don't actually open up and share that emotional connection and actually become attached or reliant in any way on that person because I don't trust them to stay. Because I never trusted them to be a long-term part of my life and I know how much it hurts when you trust someone to stay and make them a safe space and they don't so I would just not be able to afford like be able to form that kind of attachment if you see something maybe going kind of good but you have that deep down feeling like oh I can't trust this person because I can't trust anyone and I don't want to open up to them and then they hurt me do you feel like you just you kind of self-sabotage by just pushing them away? Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it self-sabotage because I feel like it's not a conscious level. I'm not having the thought of, oh, I can't trust this person yet. It's more of, I find myself not feeling the way that I know that my friends and my colleagues and my coworkers feel in these stages. When I have seen My friends and my colleagues and women I've worked with get in a new relationship and they have like that puppy love stage where they're just like, they think about them all the time and they like feel all those like warm fuzzies and like the real deep kind of feelings. And I just always kind of missed that a lot to the point where like I ended up having a a conversation with my therapist about like, am I a narcissist? am I a psychopath? Why don't I feel these things? Because I have deep empathy, I have deep feelings, I do feel love, I feel unconditional love. It's always been kind of questionable and weird to me that I was unable to feel these things that everyone else is explaining to me that are like normal parts of like the beginning of a relationship. I was unable to access those emotions because i was so harmed in my childhood over that that i didn't even consciously have access to those emotions for a very long time because i didn't trust and all of that was on like a subconscious level and it left me feeling very much like what's wrong with me why am i different why can't i have these things why can't i like do these things and like I would get attached to people, I would like them, I would look up to them, but, like, it was never in, like, a full emotional aspect. Like, now, where I am and how I form relationships, I do feel those feelings. Now, I miss and get excited to see people that I care about and I love, and I have all those, like, warm fuzzies, and I have, like, the deeper feelings that are not just harmful, deeper feelings. But for a long time, I wasn't able to access that purely because of that trauma. So I don't necessarily think it was self-sabotage. I think it was more like, I guess in a way you could skew it as self-sabotage, but it was completely unconscious. It wasn't recognizing those feelings and saying like, no, that's not safe it was like on a whole different level my brain was just wired to not because it had learned from a really long time ago that that wasn't safe that no one was safe so in a way i just wasn't capable of it for a long time and that's more than an insecure attachment style so It gets a little bit deeper. (laughs) It definitely does, but it's a long twisted story and we're doing a lot better now, so. Yeah, it definitely um, alters like how you step into relationships and then it definitely changes your uh, perspective on how relationships, once maybe you do open enough, open up enough and trust somebody enough to let them in and actually it be a, a relationship it changes maybe what you will expect of them and how you see that going if you were raised you know in a place where you saw there was very low expectations either you're gonna go like you said how we're kind of opposite in that way you're gonna go one way or the other like you're gonna swing wildly (laughs) between it's funny because i catch myself like when i i'm a lot better about this now but like. When I'm in a full-blown, like, relationship with somebody, I will let so much shit slide. And I'm just like, I'm already in love with you. I want to make this work. If I'm just, like, dating someone or talking to someone, if they fucking breathe at me wrong, I'm like, get the fuck out of here, buddy. Like, nobody... Just living with one foot out the door at all times. That's so fucking strange to me, I guess, because there's no commitment there yet it's like oh well I hardly fucking know this person but it's just weird actually like once you're in love with somebody the shit that you're willing to accept is wild and then like changing your mind about like why the fuck am I doing this why would I put up with that like me looking back at relationships that I've been in I'm like why the fuck did I stay? Like, why the fuck was I there for so long? And I've even had someone, I told you, I had someone say this to me that like, you deserve more than me. Or like, I don't know why you were with me or blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, for the other person to be telling you that, they even- That is a red flag. That is narcissistic (laughs) behavior on point. They are literally telling you, I'm mistreating you and I can't believe you're letting me, and it's going to continue. Literally. Like, that is, that is the reddest of flags. That's literally, like, getting wrapped in a red flag and dropped in the bottom of the ocean kind of red flag. <laughs> like, if that, that's not even a red flag. That's, like, run. That is a starting gun. Run the fuck away from that shit. They straight up called out my trauma because they were like, I think that the reason why you stayed is because you like of the relationships that your mother was in and that's how you learned how men should treat you and blah 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 and I was just like what the fuck like I literally need to pack my shit and leave now because of the things that you're saying to me like so the last thing that I kind of wanted to touch on was the self-regulation aspect of it so when you grow up in an unstable environment you have distant parents or you have pretty much non-existent parents um you have a problem with self-regulation or you can't have a problem with self-regulation that entails pretty much just how you how you control the thoughts that come through your mind um, your impulses um, whether you have a problem with drinking or drugs smoking um, if you struggle with eating disorders excessive spending all of these things that plays a role in if you know you struggle with any of those, it's something that you need to make yourself aware of and it can be changed. It's just the the first step is changing your thought process and understanding actually why you're struggling with those things. I know for a while that I was struggling with drinking. Um, it didn't help that I was working in bars and shit and I was around it every night, but I caught myself drinking every night for months on end. I would stay out until seven o'clock in the morning and it's like, oh I have a fucking problem. I should probably stop that. And it's just like the smoking thing too, like the the smoking thing too. Ah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I'm still struggling with that one. I feel like I in, in like my own personal journey, I definitely got a lot of that stuff out of the way. It just started snowing, so if you're hearing that in the background, I'm so sorry. But I feel like I got a lot of that out of my way when I was a lot younger because I started my, like, quote-unquote adult journey when I was 13 years old. I moved out. I got a job. I continued to try and go to school. I was living on my own. And the circumstances were not good. It wasn't, uh, I got myself out of that bad situation. I literally jumped straight from the frying pan into the fire. And it was a really bad situation. So I feel like the life that most people live in their 20s after this trauma, or like late teens to 20s, I lived from the age of 13 to like 18. Um, And then I had a very non-traditional kind of healing process from all of that once I was stopped trying to escape and actually wanted to like face that head on the only thing that's really like a residual thing that I've not been able to get rid of is smoking I still smoke cigarettes it's disgusting I know um (laughs) I'm disgusted with it too but it's really hard to quit so I'm working on it hopefully soon I won't be tethered to that leash anymore Well, I thought I was done with it, too, because I, I mean, I started drinking heavily probably when I was, like, 15, and then I stopped drinking a lot um, when I was, like, 19-ish, and then I thought I was done with that, but then I think when I, like, maybe, like, three or four years ago, um, I went through, like, a six-month fucking bender So it's really easy if you're not, like, self-aware for it to just sneak back up on you and come back, especially if you're going through a hard time in life and you're just looking for a distraction. And then before you know it, that's fucking out of control. And you're six months into a bender and you're like, what the fuck happened in the last of my life? I mean, even when you cultivate healthy coping skills and even when you start to weed out those unhealthy habits that you formed to keep yourself feeling safe and sane um or not feeling the things that you can't handle because ultimately you're just trying to escape with these addictions and these things that you place in they're unhealthy coping mechanisms they help you cope because they numb you they help you cope because they allow you to focus on something else and to feel less of the things that you're having trouble like working through So, like, even when you've cultivated very healthy coping skills, and even when you've moved past that into, like, a really healthy portion of your life, you still are susceptible to those things. Because even if you have an arsenal of healthy coping mechanisms, if you're too overwhelmed to be able to use those, it's super easy to fall into those easy and not hard things. The reason they're so easy to fall into is because you can reach for a drink. It's widely accessible. You can smoke a joint in most, well, you can smoke a joint in every state. It might not be legal in every state, but most people have access to that. And if you're in a state that it's legal and you're an adult, it's very easy to just like, okay, well, I'm going to get high and forget my problems. A lot of people use hard drugs for that same matter or like pop pills even if they're pills prescribed they're overusing them to just kind of numb out that feeling a lot of people are using things that are very easy they don't take work and i'm i've done it for a large portion of what would be most people's childhood was my childhood even though i wasn't in a child position it's because they're easy they don't take work The coping skills that are healthy, they take work, they take introspection, they take a lot of cultivation and a lot of care. So you're putting a lot more effort into them. And in those moments where you're really going through it, you don't always have the energy to put in that work. So grabbing something that's easier, that's unhealthy is just sometimes the way that you go and it's super easy to fall into that trap. This is easy, so I'm going to reach for it. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to try too hard. Everything's too hard already. So I'm just going to take the easiest approach. Definitely. Escape those feelings in the moment when they feel overwhelming. A lot of people just reach for the easier option because, like, why would I feel this terrible emotion that's coming over me right now when I could just go get fucked up with my friends and have a good time. and But you could also like go talk to your therapist or call a close friend, go for a nice pretty drive or go to the gym. Absolutely. The gym is a great place. You can reach for those healthier coping skills. They just take a little bit more effort. And I think that that's why it's so easy to fall into that trap of drugs and alcohol is because And, like, even lumping cigarettes and nicotine in with that. Like, I still very much, I'll go through a stressful situation. My breathing will stop being correct. Like, I'll start breathing too quickly or, like, too shallowly. And, like, essentially, like, baby hyperventilating. And I'll feel, like, the stress in my body. And I'll feel my chest getting tight. And I'll start to go into that, like, panic attack mode. And instead of taking deep breaths, putting on my noise-canceling headphones, taking some deep breaths, stepping away from the situation, breathing some fresh air, I'll just be like, I need to smoke a cigarette, which is still an unhealthy coping mechanism. And of all the things that I've, you know, gotten rid of in my life, I've been unable to get rid of that one so far. It is a work in progress, and I will eventually get there. Like, I do know that I will. Um, I just really need to double down and, and give it a fair, fair shot. And just be more strict and conscientious of like when I'm having those that dysregulation of my own body and conscious of the ways that I can help that without reaching for something harmful right I also think that the only thing that works for me with quitting smoking cigarettes was and this is how I have quit anything that I wanted to stop ever was I just quit cold turkey. Um, I also don't have a super addictive personality, and I can't speak for you, but that's the only thing that's ever worked for me. If I'm like, oh, I'll just smoke this last pack and then I'll be done, that doesn't fucking work. Like, as soon as I have the thought I'm going to quit, I have to just stop fucking smoking or stop doing whatever right then, and that's it, and I don't allow myself to go any further because if I try to wean myself off of it, I'm never going to fucking stop. But it also makes it a lot harder if like, you're trying to quit smoking and you're trying to quit drinking and all the people that you surround yourself with are drinking or smoking. If you're trying to quit drinking and your friends are inviting you out every other night, like that's gonna make it really difficult because you may not feel like you have any other options. Like, oh, why would I wanna go to the gym if I could go hang out with all my friends that are going out? And you may feel like you're starting to lose all of your friends because, they're not wanting to do those healthier things with also you. Also, on that note, like, maybe your friends are in a bad place themselves and not being able to step away from that because they're using it as a way to, like, numb and medicate those feelings in an unhealthy way that they're having. Or there's also the possibility they they don't seem to care that that's your journey that maybe they're not emotionally mature enough to really be your friend history doesn't always mean anything if you know they're not willing to help protect you when you're in a vulnerable place friends should always be like helping you on your journey yeah not to the detriment of themselves but like they should be there right if you're trying to quit drinking you're saying hey guys like I have noticed myself drinking a little bit too much. Or even if you just don't fucking like it, a true friend would support you in that and push you and to And invite you to bars every single weekend or not hang out with you if you can't go to the bar kind of thing. Like, that. They would make time for you and if that is the case, maybe it's time to move on from that person because that's not someone that you need in your life anyways if they're just gonna try to bring you back down into that toxic cycle that you're trying to escape. That's For sure. And I know, like, I've had, speaking on, like, the the friendship thing that I had touched on earlier, I've found myself, especially in my younger years, um, like my teenage years, I found that a lot of my friendships with people were people who didn't actually care about me. They wanted to be my friend because they liked certain things about my personality and they liked certain things about me and they didn't necessarily like me as a person they were just using that for like the clout of like oh yeah she's my friend kind of thing which is silly and ridiculous one of my very closest friends for like almost all of my teenage years Really, when I finally got out of that friendship and was able to step away and, like, hear what other people were saying to me about her, she spent our entire friendship trying to sabotage me. Anytime she saw that I was happy, she would try and lead me away from it. Anytime she saw me getting something that would, like, better myself, she would try and lead me away from it. Anytime I started to foster a relationship with somebody else, that was not like that they that actually cared about me she would try and like move me away from it by lying and manipulation and by playing on like fears that she knew that I had she wasn't my friend like she was never my friend and that also created a lot of trust issues and a lot of attachment issues for me because it was just kind of the same thing over again it was like oh this person is Fake my friend. This person faked caring about me because they just wanted to use me for this end goal and this end goal. And it was just kind of like a vicious cycle that I felt like I was never going to be able to step out of. And I felt like I was never going to be able to have friends because I couldn't look at people and understand what their motives were. And it conditioned me to look at people and expect them to have motives Right. In not just wanting to talk to me because of them, which like, that's never how I've approached people. Like that's never, if I talk to somebody, it's because I wanted to talk to them because they said something funny or they, they looked really kind or, you know, like they sounded really interesting about what they were talking about. You know, any of those random reasons that we look at people and we're like, Oh, I like you. Yeah. Yeah. And it was never like, oh, you could better my position, or like, oh, you could make me look good. It's none of that shit, like that's not how my brain works. Right. So I always felt like maybe I was broken, like maybe I didn't understand how the world worked. And in a way like it caused me to gaslight the shit out of myself for so many years, thinking that I was somehow inherently wrong and I didn't understand the world right. When in reality, they were wrong. They were selfish and they were shitty and they were narcissistic and they were bad people for me and in that moment, and also sometimes entirely. <laughs> Not yeah. to take anyone one sidedly because no one is just, you know, one dimensional, one sided it really like caused me a lot of self-doubt and a lot of insecurity about like my place in the world even as i'm at an age where i should be very secure in that and it caused me to question a lot of things about myself for a really long time i think that that does play a part in um the whole self-regulation aspect that i was touching on just the keeping people in your life, even if you kind of know that they're a little bit shitty for you, that does go into like the emotional dysregulation part of that. Oh, for sure, because ultimately it comes down to like that is dysregulation that is affected by your self-esteem. Yeah, 100%. You're not holding yourself to the same standard that you hold other people and not know like you're not holding your own expectations up but like you're not putting yourself on a level playing field with the people around you because like if you're a fairly normal person and you're not like a narcissist or like some like psychopath or like you know sociopath you're not conniving and manipulating your way through relationships even if you've kind of learned a little bit of those coping skills That's not the natural setting for, like, us as people. When you're looking at everyone else, like, they deserve love and they deserve trust and they deserve fairness and all of that, because inherently we all kind of know that, that, like, everyone deserves that. And when you're so used to not being treated like you deserve that, It affects your self-esteem, like which I touched on earlier, um, at least how it affected me. You kind of almost don't put yourself on the same playing field as the other people that you're encountering. You're already putting yourself unconsciously, but you're already putting yourself below those people. You're already putting your needs and your thoughts and your opinions and your own well-being below those people and what their thoughts and opinions and needs and, you know, like hopes and dreams and everything are. Put yourself on the back burner for other people without even stepping into any kind of relationship. Definitely. Yeah, so don't settle, don't deal with anyone's bullshit. No fucking dumb people. We're keeping our fucking boundaries, not letting anyone get past those. Fuck anybody that even wants to try. Fuck anybody that wants to try. Fuck you, fuck don't you, mentally, fuck you. Not literally, though. <laughs> don't fuck them. Don't. That's uh, that is a poor coping skill. <laughs> yeah, we don't do that. 2023, we don't do that anymore. We don't fuck people that don't respect our boundaries, okay? <laughs> Moving on. But if these are things that you struggle with, addiction, alcoholism, the excessive spending, the emotional dysregulation, any of the things that we've been talking about Um, I do recommend listening to this Ted talk. Um, it's by Dan Ariely on self-regulation and just skills to, to better your coping mechanisms when it comes to that. Um, you can find that on YouTube. Is there anything else that you would like to touch on Tabby? Stay safe out there guys. We love you. Thank you guys for listening. I love you. Have a great day.